All right, uh, you know, songs have a way of speaking to us, don't they? Uh, I, I personally love the song that we just sang. It's, it's something that I'll be humming and singing for the rest of my week, you know, and, and I think that's a good thing. But, you know, songs have a way of letting us know things, letting us remember things. It has a way of infiltrating us in a way that normal words can't, you know. I'll give you, a, uh, let's do a couple examples. I'm going to start a song, and I want you guys in your best voice, singing voice, to, to finish it, Okay. You guys ready for this? I think you'll know this one. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. H, I, K, K, L, M, N, O, P. Good job, good job. That's universal sign for stop. All right. I think. Actually, I think it's like this. <laughs> she would be so disappointed. All right, all right, here we go. Here's another one. I think most of you guys will get this. John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. <laughs> all right, good job. Now, uh, the alto section. Finish. You all know it. All right, that's all right. That's all right. That's, all right. Uh, that, that's a helpful song for us all to know, isn't it? I mean, we just need to know that thing. All right, how about this one? I think some of you guys will know this. I shot the sheriff. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I was hoping someone would do that. You can always count on you, babe. All right. How about this one? Oh, say, can you see? <laughs> She's standing. She... All right. Yeah, that was rough. That was rough. That was rough. Ms. Audrey threw us all off here. She... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we, we sing things that are fun, you know, in our culture. We sing things uh, that tell stories. We sing things we want to celebrate and honor. We sing things that we want to worship. Sometimes we sing things that don't make any sense at all. John, John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's a story behind that. I'm sure there's a story behind it. I just don't know what it is. But, you know, songs have a way of instilling something in our minds and hearts. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at an ancient song, an ancient hymn. And uh, we're going to, um, it, it, with the purpose of this song revealing something very important to us, it's actually who Jesus is. This ancient song reveals who Jesus is. So it's no secret that our world is a little bit confused on this topic of Jesus. On the person of Jesus. I mean, you can you could literally ask a hundred different people uh, who is Jesus, and you could easily get a hundred different answers, a hundred different responses. And the same thing is true in, in churches: is you could ask a lot of different people, and you'll find a lot of confusion because we've acclimated uh, to the culture around us, and we hear the answers, we hear the responses of what everyone is is saying who this man is, and so. Today, maybe we could just wipe away some of the confusion, or maybe we can uh, build our faith a little bit, or be encouraged, reminded who this man Jesus is. Uh, our culture has taken this mentality, okay, um, that whatever works for you, just roll with that, okay? Whatever works for me, just, just roll with it. And, and what the common theme of, of everyone's belief system is ultimately what works best for me. But the problem with that is this, I have a lot of I agree with that philosophy when it's come like, it's dinner time, what do I want, you know, what works for me? Tacos, you know, or like, yeah, there's, there's a time and place for what works for me. But when, when it comes to us basing our whole belief system, our whole life, our whole faith, our whole eternities, our whole purpose uh, on, on whatever works for me, that, it's, it's flaky, okay? 
And it's eventually just going to uh, all collapse down. So uh, we live in this age where truth is often sidestepped. Truth is often ignored, even scoffed at times. I believe we live in an age that is uh, desperate for truth more than ever. Especially truth about who Jesus is. So, so today, uh, this is a little bit of an oddball Sunday. We're, we're actually not in a series. A lot, most, almost all the time I'm teaching inside this a ser- a teaching series. And, uh, uh, but today, we're just kind of doing this one and done, standalone gig. And I think it's worth our time today. So, so much so that we're going to bust out in song in just a minute. We're going to learn some pretty important truths about Jesus. So Colossians 1, if you have a Bible, if you're, if you're on your phone, if you're taking notes, Colossians chapter 1, the scripture will be on the screen. But all this talk about a song, because uh, scholars pretty much agree that uh, Colossians 1, Paul is writing from, uh, uh, from jail, okay? And he's writing to the church in Colossae, and uh, he, early on in the letter, uh, the, the tone disrupts. He's writing to this church, and then all of a sudden, there's, there's, some, there's a little bit of uh, meter. There's some poetry going on here, and, and, and the language shifts and changes. So people, people acknowledge that this, in the, at the beginning of this letter, is an ancient song that the Apostle Paul either did one of two things. He either uh, f- was feeling it, you know, a little groove, and he kind of wrote the song, penned it himself, you know, an original tune, or more likely... That there was already this hymn that was being used in the early churches, uh, hymns, uh, uh, songs uh, that would infiltrate people's hearts and their minds, and, 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 and they would memorize this teaching about who Jesus was. And so Paul includes it at the outset. This past. So I believe this passage is important for the church today. Uh, and so Paul, what we see, Paul is kind of unveiling, he's pulling back the veil uh, of Jesus so we can get a, a picture of who he really is. So, he, so real quick, uh, I think this is important that we need to know about the culture of, of, that Paul was writing to. He was writing to this church in Colossae because they were acclimating, they were being surrounded uh, by uh, this form of teaching called Gnosticism. That's Gnosticism with a G. N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, right? Gnosticism. And so, and so Gnosticism, or the Gnostics, they taught that, uh, that they had this secret knowledge, okay? So, so we're pretty smart people. We have this secret knowledge. And, and they were very uh, prideful in their knowledge. And, and, and this group was all about this higher knowledge that everyone couldn't quite attain to. And, and part of this teaching was that the physical realm, this stuff right here, was evil. So everything that was physical, it was evil. And so that came into the direct conflict with the teaching of the church where Jesus came in what? The physical. He came in the flesh. Like, like not, not like wannabe flesh, but like real skin, bones, you punch them, he got a bruise. Like that kind of flesh. But yet Jesus was perfect. He, was, he remained flawless, sinless. And so this teaching, the Gnosticism teaching, kind of crept into the church and it kind of clashed with the, uh, they denied the physical nature of Jesus. Or on the other side of the coin, they would say, okay, well, Jesus was a man, so therefore he wasn't truly God because God is good and and things that are physical can't be good. And so it kind of boggled up this teaching about who Jesus was. 
And so they denied a key part of Jesus' identity over and over in the scriptures. They're saying, no, we need to hold on fast and firm to this truth of who Jesus is. So here we go. First, uh, first not Colossians, uh, not first Colossians, only Colossians uh, 1, 15 through 20. So here we go. It says this, the son. Who's the son? Jesus. All right. Often it's a shorthand uh, word for him, son of God, uh, referring to Jesus' authority, his kingship. Uh, so the, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things uh, were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, uh, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. So, so at this point, we're, Paul, uh, this is the part that people think this is a song. Paul is writing this letter, and in this point, he's trying to get some fundamental truths about who Jesus was, and it was likely a song that the, the church in Colossae would have known. And so they would, they, they're singing this, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know what I'm saying? And how many of you guys still sing the alphabet when you need to find, when you're trying to alphabetize something? Am I not, I'm not the only one? Like, man, you're a grown man, and you're like, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and not out loud, yeah, but in the head, I mean, in the head, you know, and, uh, and but, but we do that because that's how we learned our ABCs, and so this was a way that a lot of, the, a lot of people had learned about Jesus was through these songs, and so G- Paul's unveiling uh, Jesus, and, and um, they wrote the song that something that was important to them. So that people can know who Jesus was. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to kind of dig through this for a few minutes. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And find some, uh, some of the key points. But we see uh, how Jesus has this relationship with and over two particular things. Okay? All right. So the first one is this. Jesus, we see Jesus' relationship to the world. And so the first thing is Jesus' relationship to the world is unveiled. We get to see uh, how, how he relates to, with, and over all of creation. So it's a, in verse 15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So Jesus, Son of God, uh, he's the image of the invisible God. Scripture tells us that God is, God is spirit. Okay, that God is spirit, and, and, and so Jesus came as a, a physical representation of the God that we cannot see with our eyes. In fact, the Greek word there for image is icon, and we get the word icon uh, from that. And, and, and basically, if um, I could send a picture of myself, or Ryan, you, know, you can send a picture of yourself, and you're sending it to your girl, your boo, across the country, you know what I'm saying? And what you've done is she can see your icon. She can see your image, your representation. It's not you. It's an exact representation. This is who I am. This is what I look like. And we see that Jesus, man, he's the exact representation of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Now, the firstborn, uh, I have three children. I say firstborn. uh, I will be referring to Isaac, okay? 
But in, in this culture, firstborn didn't always mean chronological. It wasn't necessarily talking about a timeline, rather talking about a place or a status. So the firstborn would be, would be prominently someone with, with, with importance. And, and, and so Jesus is the firstborn uh, over all creation. Now, it's not saying that he was born and that he was created. It was saying that he is prominent over everything that was created. And so the Gnostics, these, these, these people who are into the special knowledge and, and this, this teaching had infiltrated into the church, they regarded Jesus as an, an intermediary. You know, between uh, uh, God and men. So he was inferior to God, but, you know, maybe better than most people. And so to them, Jesus was unique, but he wasn't that unique. He, he, was, he was good, but he wasn't that good. And they also believed that if, if, if he were divine, then he couldn't have an earthly body. And so, because uh, all matter is evil. And so, so note how Paul... Uh, he a, a sense that Christ was both creator and the very image of God at the same time. He, he writes in verse 16, says, for in him, in Jesus, all things were created. In him, all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth, the, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You know, since Christ created all things, he himself being uncreated, we see that Christ is preeminent. He, he's, uh, he's supreme over heaven and earth. Okay, that's, that's like all, that's everything. He, he's supreme over the visible, the invisible. So there's, there's this other realm, the spiritual realm, that, that he's still Lord over all of that. It says over thrones and powers or rulers, authorities. And whether that's talking about physical thrones and kings and rulers and governments, and it's talking about spiritual powers, uh, uh, demons and angels and, and everything in between, like Jesus is the Lord. He's supreme over it all. And you can note, uh, you see Paul's language here. That uh, it says all things were created in him, all things were created through him, and all things were created for him. So Paul uses three different prepositions uh, uh, in, in the way of uh, kind of refuting some of these false teachers, these philosophies. So for, for centuries, the Greek philosophers, they had uh, taught that everything needed a primary cause, everything needed an instrumental cause, and everything needed a final cause. And so, in other words, everything needed a plan, everything needed a, pow a power, a driving power, and everything needed a purpose. And, and using these three prepositions, uh, talking about Jesus, in him, through him, by him, He's saying that Jesus is the one who came, and he satisfies all of that. When it comes to creation, Jesus is the only primary cause. He planned it all out. He created it. When it comes to the instrumental cause, Jesus is the driving force, the sustainer uh, behind all that's going on uh, today. He produced it. And Jesus is the final cause. He did it all for his glory. Verse 17 says, he is before all things. And in him, all things, they, they hold together. So, like, the cool stuff here, but Jesus is, pre, is, is talking about his preexistence. 
of Christ. Like before the physical man Jesus walked this earth physically wearing sandals and uh, who got bruised and, and who got hungry and, and who uh, had to sleep, you know. Um, before the physical man Jesus, Jesus, okay, the Son of God, was pre-existent. He wasn't created. He's eternal. He existed before all things. And in him, he holds all things together. You know, our world is pretty complex, you know. Our world is pretty complex, yet somehow, all things hold together. Yeah, we come up with rules and laws, uh, gravity and, and thermodynamics and all these things that we, we, we are discovering about the universe that, that Jesus has set in motion. But a lot of this, a lot of it doesn't even make sense how, how things hold together. We see, we see here that Jesus is the glue. It's in him. He holds all things together. And so we see Jesus having this relationship with, with the world. And Paul's pulling back the veil and saying, look, like this Jesus is, is more than just a guy. He's more than just a nice man. He's more than this intermediary between God and man. Man, he is God in the flesh. He's the creator He's powerful. He's the firstborn. He's supreme. And life itself, it's all for his glory. And then Paul moves on to the second big category, part, part of the song, song, this hymn. And so we see Jesus' relationship to the, church, uh, to the world. And now we see Jesus' relationship to the church is unveiled. Paul's pulling back the veil on this. And, and so uh, verse 18 says, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So he's the head of the, he, he's the, head of the body, the church. Like, th that's us, by the way. Like, we are a church. We're part of many other churches meeting across the world, uh, uh, different cultures, different languages, different customs, but we're still part of the same church who has met throughout history. Well, the same church is meeting in the village, same church is meeting in the house because it's illegal to do so in their uh, country, uh, same church that met uh, in, the, in the catacombs in the uh, second and third centuries because they were uh, literally underground fearing for their life. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. You know, and as a human head rules, as a human head rules the body, man, we are called to let Christ rule the church. Like, here's the thing. We all have our church customs, our church traditions, our church styles, our church preferences, our church traditions, and our church lingo and buildings. And, um, but, but the most prominent part of our church in any church has to be Jesus, the one who gave his life as a sacrifice. As the head, he made the decision to go to, to the cross. And therefore, the church is, uh, we, we trust him, we follow him, we're for him. He is the supreme, the beginning of the church. And the scripture says, he is the firstborn among the dead. He is the most important of those who had been raised from the dead. Verse 19 says, for God uh, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Now, that, that's, a, that's a big statement, all right? For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. So we see the very fullness of God was in the person, the man of Jesus, the sum total divine power and attributes. When Jesus showed up in this world, 
Man, God had come near to us through Jesus. You know, like Paul was confronting Gnosticism that crept into the church today. So many people were saying Jesus is a good man. Or we say Jesus plus fill in the blank and that will do me just fine. But church, we can't, we can't say Jesus plus anything is what we need. We can't say Jesus plus try harder. We can't say Jesus plus being good enough. Jesus plus live by the rules. Jesus plus ha- uh, uh, be f- fiscally f- responsible. We can't say Jesus plus a good solid government. We can't say Jesus plus cultural opinion in whatever way that may go. We can't say Jesus plus all these other gods or all these other belief systems. No, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. And Paul's pulling back the curtain to unveil who Jesus is. Verse 20 says, and through, uh, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do you, are, you, are you catching the flow of this song? The very maker of heaven and earth and everything in between is the same one who is dying on a cross. That, that doesn't make sense, right? That, God, that Jesus was willing to make peace on our behalf with the holy God was willing to lay his life down in a world that he created by people that he created because he loved us. To reconcile. You know that word reconcile is a pretty big word. To, it's like this idea of bringing back together. You know? A lot, a lot of you have experienced some tension in the family. There might have been separation. And then, and then over time or through conversations, through whatever process you went through, there was reconciliation. And, and, and maybe that brought you joy. And, and that's how it is with God, that when we rebel against him, we sin. Man, we are split. We're separated because God can't uh, be near sin because he's holy. But he sent Jesus to reconcile, to bring us back together. So we get a chance to make it back to God through what Jesus did, through the cross, through the cross. And so there's a couple of things we can learn as we, as we talk about Jesus. And uh, we see his relationship with the world, the creation, created world. We see his relationship with the church. And the first thing I kind of want to po- point out today is, is this, that, that truth matters. That truth matters in our world. Truth matters in our society, in our culture. Truth has to matter in our church, guys. And church, uh, uh, truth has to matter in our belief. It has to matter in our faith. Like we can't just pick whatever we want out of the sky and, 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 and believe in that as hard as we can. And it makes us feel good, so we're going to roll with that. But no, our faith is founded in truth. It's, it's, it's founded in a story of God sending Jesus. And, and he walked, and he talked, and he went to a cross. He rose again. And so truth matters. When Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. And he heard of, of this church who was doing good things. He actually opens up the letter saying, look, man, you're doing good. Your, your faith is, is vibrant. You know, you're, you're living out what you believe. But he was burdened. 
he's burdened that they were going to get thrown off course. Because listen, if, if our faith, if, if truth doesn't matter, eventually uh, things will creep into our life, into our faith, into our beliefs, and, and it will eventually throw us off course. And we'll end up in a place that is far, far, far off than we ever would have imagined. You know, if you're driving, you can go off just one degree. You'll be, you'll be fine for a little bit, right? But if you were to keep going that path, eventually you're going to hit a guardrail, go off a bridge, run into another car, you know? Eventually it's going to take you off course so much so that it's going to wreck your life. So truth matters. And, and Paul is defending his truth to the last minute. Uh, and so while we could, add, in our culture, we could ask 100 people uh, who Jesus is and get 100 answers, man. In the church, man, we need to stay focused on Jesus. We need to stay focused. And Paul and Paul's saying, like, look, stay focused. This matters. And so the first thing is truth matters. And the second thing I want to uh, kind of encourage you guys with today is this, is that Jesus, he, he is still in control. He is still in control. Do things seem crazy in our world? No? Just me? Slightly, yeah. You know, things, things often seem out of control, so much so that we may be in desperation say it's impossible for them to get better. You know? Things are falling apart. How, or how are we going to make it to the next day? Or, oh man, my kids. Like, I got kids or grandkids and they got to grow up in this. And, and we, out of desperation, we cry out. Church, I just want to remind you that, that Jesus is in control. He is in control of our world. He's in control of our church. He's in control of our lives. And, and when we deny that, when we live other lives, when we allow other things to creep in and kind of... Um, have this pretend control over this lordship, this leadership thing, things get out of whack when we put our trust in other things other than Jesus. Here's what we do. We want to trust anything that we can see, anything that gives us a semblance of control. I mean, the big thing right now is government, you know, with with all the turmoil up and down, and and everyone's just a little bit angry at everybody, and we we tend to put all of our chips in the basket, and, and, uh, you know, we need to be involved and engaged and concerned about our government. I'm not saying we don't, but, but, man, we're called first to put our trust in Jesus because everything else is going to be flimsy. Everything else is going to crash. And what we'll do is we're going to live anxious, fearful, discontent lives. That's what's going to happen. So, truth matters. Jesus is in control. And we see that through these things that, that you and I, church, that we have purpose. We have purpose. Like God is in control of history. All the ups, all the downs. And I can promise you this, we're not living at the worst point in time in history. Like, think, uh, people in the past have had it way worse than, than we've ever had it. And uh, uh, God is in control. Uh, he stepped inside of history. He established his kingdom, which supersedes the kingdoms of this world. And, and we get to play a part of that by loving God, by loving people, and by impacting this world for Jesus Christ. We get to partner proclaiming that message, bringing his kingdom. When we live like Jesus, when we love like Jesus. Man, what a song that must have been. 
for the early church. I, w- I wish we could know the tune that it was sung to. I, w- I wonder if they used instruments with it. I don't, I don't know. I wonder if they chanted it. Uh, um, I, I don't know. But what a good song that the early church used to hold on to the identity of Jesus' church. Let's don't forget who Jesus is. Maybe we need to hum that tune in our heart. You know, maybe we need to let it infiltrate our minds. Just like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And that we're constantly going back. Constantly going back to what we learned, how we learned it. That Jesus, that Jesus is supreme. Let's pray. God, we praise you, give you glory right now. For being a God who's not far off, but a God who created us, loved us, pursued us when we went off track. And God, that you are in control over history, you're in control over this church, and you're in control over this world that seems so crazy right now. God, use us to bring your kingdom here on this earth. God, in a way that brings glory to your name. God, I pray that we can put our trust in you, God. I pray that we can be grounded in, uh, in you for our source of truth. God, I pray that you'll use us as an army here in Portsmouth and Hampton Roads to, to change this world uh, for you, for your glory. So God, use us, give us courage, give us boldness, God. And, and my, may we find everything we need in you and you alone. God, it's all in the holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.